So welcome, and without further ado, to announce the show, Mr. Chris Sarandon. Hi guys, I'm Chris Sarandon, and welcome to all of you to the first live audience broadcast of Cooking by Heart. Uh, here we are. Uh, people are obviously going to be listening to this, but I want to welcome also this rowdy crowd. <laughs> Love to have you here. Um, uh, we're here, obviously, at the Sacred Heart Community Theater in the beautiful downtown Fairfield, Connecticut. Tonight, I'm pleased to have with us an old friend of mine, uh, a writer whose work is full of food and memory and cooking by heart, Adriana Trujani, who is in New York. Yes, please, feel free. Adriana is the New York Times best-selling author of 20 books of fiction and nonfiction. Her books have been published in 38 languages around the world. She's an award-winning playwright, a TV writer and producer, a filmmaker. She's the co-founder of The Origin Project, which I hope we'll talk about a little bit tonight. And she proudly serves on the New York State Council on the Arts. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to present Adriana Trajani. Hello. Hello. Yeah. We're tested. Okay. So, so it, it, it strikes me, you, you've written a couple of uh, uh, nonfiction yes. books as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the one, Lesson from My Grandmother's, uh, the uh, Don't Sing at the Table, yep. which I love. Yep. And also Cooking with My Sisters. And one of the things that struck me about both of those books is the following, that your, your mom came, your mom's family came from northern Italy. Yep. Your father's family came from southern Italy. Mm -hmm. A kind of clash of cultures and of... But the grandmother, cuisine. his mother came from, she's Venetian. Ah. But that's... A different culture altogether. They'll cut you. Be very careful with those people. <laughs> but they're great cooks and farmers. Right. So, but you've, you've got it right. Yeah, yeah. And then you grew up in an Italian-American town. That's right. In Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. But then you had to move... Right. To a coal mining town in Virginia. Similar to your situation. That's right. Very, actually, we had this conversation a long time ago because we were talking about Big Stone Gap at any rate. So then uh, we've got these styles of cooking uh, clashing. When you were growing up, what was the dinner table like? You know, one of my happiest memories. There's a rhythm to the way Italians eat. Like, right. you know what night you're having. Sp well, there just isn't. Maybe it's because there were so many kids. We all had a place that we sat at the table, and it was non-negotiable. You had to be at home for supper at 6 o'clock. Right. We're Catholic. We said 47 prayers. <laughs> then finally we'd eat. And wherever you sat, it's so interesting, wherever you sat at the table kind of determined everything. So I was kind of wedged uh, between the baby and the second eldest sister. How I mean, many kids? I, seven children, five girls, two boys. Right. And... Um, my happiest memories, I was always pretty much somebody who fancied herself very social, even though... What a surprise. Well, I know, but I was actually shy and had to like work my way out of it. And, and, and in the second grade, when we got to Big Stone Gap, I, I knew, well, I was seven, I knew that I had to try to say hello to the neighbors because they would be our neighbors. But I also wore very thick glasses, this thick. Okay, they, they, seriously, they were this thick. My, my happiest memory 
and my mother's in the kitchen window when she's straining the pasta, and then the window steams and she disappears. Wow. And I like run inside because we're having spaghetti. Now, my mother was a librarian, so everything was very organized with my mother, and my mother was also very emotional. She looked kind of like Dolores Del Rio, very beautiful, and my father looked like B.B. King, but he's white. <laughs> okay, so that'll give you like the two. And he, 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 was, he was larger than life. And, you know, I used to say that you never had to salt the food because my mother cried into it. Um, just managing all of us and table manners and all of that. But the food that she made was so delicious that the, we called it gravy. The gravy on the stove. And I, and I remember, like, the only time my father would flirt with my mother at a certain point. When they were young, they were very in love, which I happen to remember. But at this point, we had moved to this town where we were other. The Catholic Church was, I called it later, the Island of Misfit Toys. It was like, you know, somebody who'd come in through a mission, and then this was all kind of, but we were solid. You know, like which Polish coal mining family was, went to the Catholic Church? Right. So that became part of it. and. And so our family just, we, we eventually fit in, but people came over and ate with us all the time because the food was good. Yeah, and when you're talking about gravy, you're talking about? Tomato sauce. Tomato sauce. That's right. right. And we share, now, on the Venetian side, if you have it with polenta, we use the cinnamon, you know. Um, like the Greeks. Yeah. I'm Greek, by the way. And Chris is Greek. Well, we, centuries and centuries before we were Italians, on my father's side, we were Greek, too. That's what they tell us. There was an S at the end of our name. I don't know. I haven't checked. But, um, but the food in that, you know, my mother had a hard time getting ingredients down there, which is why in my cookbook that was written with my sister, Mary Alanda Trajani, and all my sisters, which that's another story unto itself, to do a cookbook with your family. We argued about everything, and one of my sisters said, look, mom made the meatballs with garlic salt. I never used garlic salt. No, me either. Use it fresh. But my mother couldn't get the ingredients, so we made that point. Right. Use fresh, but whatever, you know. What was the conversation like around the table? Well, that was interesting. That's when they trained you. That's when they trained you to be in the world, my parents. So it was about your table manners. Um, it could be funny. It was, I just remember, because I was always in trouble, it was a disciplinary hour for me. You know, um, and then we did this horrible thing where we lined up with our report cards. Oh, that was the worst. Oh, I remember that. And my first, they, the ones in front of me were really smart. And then he'd get to me and he'd go, what is this? And at a certain point, my father just gave up when I got an F in typing. He said, how do you punish somebody for getting an F in typing? You just had to sit there and hit the keys. What happened? Well, and it's a long story. But anyway, <laughs> so it was disciplinary, but it wasn't. It was warm. Now, my mother always had a tablecloth. The, the table was set, and there was always candles on that table or flowers. She was big on flowers, wasn't she? Big. My mother was in the garden club. She's big on flowers. My mother was elegant. The daughter of immigrants, she was elegant. Well, my grandmother was elegant, too. I mean, they were elegant people on that side of the family, you know? Northern Italians were thought to be much more refined. Well, they can be. I mean, you know, but they're mountain people. And I, I mean... It's really interesting to me that in Italy that we were mountain people and then we were mountain people here in, right. in Virginia, right? Right, Stone Gap. Right. Well, you say, well, what's a mountain person? Well, first of all, it's people that 
can get along if they're snowed in. They'll be all right. They can, they, you know, all the delicious right, stuff. Right, right, right. They also, uh, they're able to put out a feast. There, there could be nothing in our house and suddenly the table was filled with just, my mother would save things sometimes like for a special something or she did this thing where she made this antipasto and it was gigantic. And it, during Lent we had it a lot because, you know, there was tuna instead of meat there. But it was layered with the most delicious, you know, roasted peppers that she had roasted and, and the lettuce and everything. And it didn't need a dressing because everything came together. And there was it, a visual component to it, There's a hugely visual yeah. component. It was like a sunburst. Right. And then she would serve it. There was one can of tuna there. I ate a can of tuna alone. I don't know, you know, but my family ate one. But they would get the Italian tuna that was a bigger can, and that was in the middle. Right. But fanning out from that was anchovies, and I always ate anchovies as a kid. I didn't even think, I don't think anything of anchovies. Yeah, right. And then other things that she would come up with, and, but everything was beautifully rendered. And she cut it almost like a pie. That's how she passed it around the table. Right. And so, what, was your, what was your dad's um, job at the table? What was your dad's behavior like at the table? Well, <laughs> how can, can I us. describe him? I wish he could come back from heaven so you could see him, because it says it all. Um, my father was a very learned man. He went to Notre Dame. He graduated from Notre Dame. He went to an all-boys prep school in Pennsylvania that no longer exists, St. Francis Prep. My father was erudite, but he was also this person. And we found this out, well, I knew it before he died, but after he died, then I really got the stories. He'd go to Hardy's every morning for a cup of coffee and a biscuit. That's a big thing down there, biscuits. Mm -hmm. there, you had all variations of them. Yeah, different kind of gravy. Yeah, and he went down there, and, and he, he'd meet with these gentlemen that used to call mine, and, and he said, okay, gentlemen, the word of the day is conundrum. Let's use it in a sentence. So when my dad died, you know, the, you have the line and you're, you're standing there in a row. Mm -hmm. And these, these three men come in who clearly haven't been, ever been in a Catholic church or maybe a church because they were kind of dressed to go, you know, out and, you know, in the woods. They had, they had baseball caps on and stuff. I won't say which sister said, what's happening? I said, well, I think they're dad's friends from Hardy's. So I went over to them and I said, are you guys the Hardy Boys? Because he called them the Hardy Boys. <laughs> Which eventually he shared that there was actually books called the Hardy Boy right. Mysteries. Okay. Which made no sense to anyone. But anyway, so he, these men said, we loved your dad. You know, he was really interesting. And it's, he told me about the words. But he also, didn't he also have a kind of antic quality to him too? You mean comedy? Yeah, around the table. Yes. Yes, he, he could be very funny. Um, I just it, remember reading an eyelid thing that he used yeah, to Yeah, he used to flip his eyelids inside out. My mother would say, could you wait till they've finished eating before you start that? You know, he, you know. I think he chose very carefully as a parent what he was going to focus on. When he was dying, he said to me, is there anything that you, didn't, that you wished I would have gotten for you? Which was such a weird question, but I had made a list of questions of things I needed to ask him. Mm. 
which I highly recommend if your parents are still with you, you know, or grandparents. Yeah. Just, just ask them everything you could think. And I asked a lot of questions that I, I really needed answers for. Things but that I wish I'd asked my parents. I, don't you wish? Always. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you need to know before every dinner, every night, there was a concert because he, when he came home, he went to the piano and he played the piano and he, he, he could play the piano. He played from a very young age. Mm -hmm. and they were fizzy and jazzy and... If I hear Satin Doll, that was his song. He always played that right before you knew it was time to get to the table if you heard Satin Doll. Right. And no excuses for dinner. You could not miss it. But this is him. A cousin of mine just said this, his first cousin, that crew. And he said, your father was just very decisive and black and white. There was no middle ground. This was the thing about my You couldn't argue him to your point of view, so you just didn't try. But at the dinner table, he, he took that as the time to sort of, yeah, he could be funny, but he could also be really tough. He was a very strict disciplinarian, mm -hmm. very strict, and never came off of it, not even for two seconds. But he was also very big on dessert, right? He, oh, like one, one of my favorite memories of him is when his mother got sick he was talking with his brothers and sisters in my grandmother's kitchen. And you know how you cut a cake? Well, just take this much of the cake. And my father had it on a plate because he was nervous. He needed to know it. He was, he was stress eating. He was eating that piece of cake. I said, Dad, you're, like, you're eating the whole cake. And he looked down at it. He loved cake. He loved sweets. If we, he came home when we were baking, he was so happy. The Easter bread that we talked about that the Greeks do, that the Italians do, my yeah, right. mother would raise that dough in tubs in the sunny windows of the house. There was wax paper and then blankets, and it was like Jiffy Pop. And then the day would come and she would roll it, because we were real mm -hmm. Lent people. I mean, we were deprived during Lent. Yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> deprived. Yeah, and, and. Oh, listen, my father, and he'd embarrass us. He went up to the school. During Lent, they had hamburger Friday. And so we couldn't eat it, but we, we didn't care. We would have something, you know, we didn't care. My father, whenever he went to the school, it was a scene. So he goes to the school to meet with the principal and the vice principal of our high school, and junior, it's junior high and high school together, to talk about Hamburger Friday. So in the Roman Catholic tradition, we do not eat meat on Fridays. Could you please not serve meat on Fridays? Could you move it? Because there were seven of us, but there were, you know, 500 other people right. in school. Later, I'll tell you the part that he, why he went up there. But he said, so, so, so the principal's like this, Mr. T, Mr. T. They could never say Trajan. Mr. T, Mr. T, please. And my father said, no, listen, this is a religious freedom. It's Lent, 40 days. He was just, my father could be, he could, he could expound for hours. Okay. Principal said, Mr. T, you, you stop worrying about Hamburger Friday. There's no meat in them burgers. <laughs> and my father said, excuse me, they're soy burgers. Government issue. The school lunch, can I take you through the school lunch? Because it's so apropos <laughs> to the food Oh, absolutely. This is, oh yeah. my God, okay, so that- Right on you, subject. Whatever the army didn't use, rounded, it wound up in Appalachia, including the, this was the 70s, so it was the fumes of the WPA that put actors on tour. And because I was obsessed with show business, you paid 25 cents and you could watch these actors do like the odd couple. Right. I am the only person 
And I still ask all my friends, who saw The Odd Couple when we were in the fourth grade and we had to pay 25 cents? I said, I said, they paid no attention. They did act one twice <laughs> because they were drunk. <laughs> and I remembered, we already heard this. Okay, all right, sidebar. Okay, so back to lunch. So your typical lunch was soup beans, cornbread, greens, collard greens, and probably peaches from a can. Yeah. Every once in a while, you know how you had different segments? There was a piece of cheese, and it was stamped government cheese. <laughs> so we'd go home, and we'd complain. And my mother said, eat what everybody else eats, and it's a hot meal. My mother was like big into a hot meal at lunch. And also, also and we grew up the same way. No waste. Nothing was oh, ever no, 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 thrown no, no. away. Well, then we're talking, we're really talking about my grandmother Viola. Mm -hmm. Because she invent. you know, you can watch Massimo Bottoro, Grill Leaks on YouTube. I mean, I've watched that guy do stuff. And he invented not throwing anything away where, where, you know when you're cutting an onion and you still have the peels and stuff, you throw it in the tray. Don't do that. He puts them on a tray, puts the oven on 150, and the next morning you have potato chips. Out of, and they're not, there's no fat in them. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, that's the kind of stuff my grandmother did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it, it, not, well, when you run a restaurant, you really don't waste it. No, no. I remember when um, I was growing up, we had a big butcher block in the restaurant, and they would bring in an entire side of beef. They didn't bring in cuts of anything, and my dad would butcher everything and use everything. Everything was used for ground, for, we had calves liver on the menu. There was, nothing was ever wasted. Wow. And at home, same thing. Wow. You know, to the point where when we steamed greens at home, we would drink the, the water from the greens. That's why called... you look like you look. <laughs> my, my Aunt Lula used to call it pot liquor. Right? Okay. So anyway. But that's so. good for you. But, but you're, you're, you're hitting on something. When you use everything, you have a sense of everything that's important in life. Not to waste. Yep. Also, to honor the earth, everything matters, everything's connected. It, it, it's, it's, it, you, you can dramatize faith in that way for children when they understand that. So, so that's really interesting to me. So even the, even the, even the broth, yep. that, that's, that's my grandmother, the Venetian grandmother. Yeah, yeah. And she, she would, I can't even describe to you, she would make the crepes for her manicotti. She did, everything was made. She never bought anything, and she would save the wax paper from the cereal and iron it, and it fit when you unroll, I know really, you wouldn't even have the patience. Un she kept them, pr pressed them lightly, and that's how she did her crepes, and her crepes would peel off of there, and you could put one, two, three, four crepes, and they were layered. Then she would, oh yeah. And there was a place where, um, in Pennsylvania, called Calandra Cheese, which is being sold for, sold now, because the kids don't want to make the cheese anymore. Yeah. The Sad. most incredible cheese, you guys, the ricotta, you, you, you'd eat it out of the, it just squares. Just out of the bin, yeah. Oh, God, so uh, delicious. And when she came to Big Stone Gap, she, the first time she visited with my grandfather, my grandfather was quite ill then, and she looked around and I said, what do you think, Grandma, do you like Big Stone Gap? And she said, I don't think I could live in a place where they don't make cheese. 
So, tell me about your dad did pasta days, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, there was a... I don't know where you got these stories. This is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he'd clean out the refrigerator. Right. But... But, but making fresh pasta. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. To make the sauce, he yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, the crank. And then it was hanging everywhere. And you guys were enlisted to help. Yeah, right? we, we had to help. Oh, oh, please, we were working. Are you kidding? When I was, when I was four, they gave me a magnet. To, we, we were in the sewing business, sewing factories. And my father had the factory in Virginia. That's how he got there on the, uh, the small business administration. Administration, right. Came north to get guys to come south. And that's why all the textile business went down there eventually, because there right. were no unions, but then there were unions. But anyway, I say that and I'm in three unions. Mm. Okay, so, so they, they'd hand the children, and in between the cracks of the factory floor, we had to put the pins in a little box. First of all, who lets a kid pick up pins when they're four? I, I, it was, this is dangerous, but it, it, they wasted nothing. Right, yeah. Nothing. But, but were there, I mean, there was something about a prayer to St. Francis? Okay, that's books? like our family prayer. Right. That's our big one. And um, we said it every night at dinner. But it was to keep the peace? Yeah, like we could be fighting with each other, and then they'd make us say the prayer, which is such a buzzkill when you're angry. I can't even tell you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Terrible. Um, we were in church every chance we could be in church. There was all, there were, the priest was at dinner more often than not. They could go from house to house. And that, that's just how it is in the South. Yeah. And, um, oh, and every Sunday, my father would entertain the Protestant preachers who would drain his liquor because they weren't allowed to drink anywhere, so they'd come over to my dad's. Now, after meals, you now were I'm going to get in trouble. For, now, they're all dead. Who cares? After meals, you also had responsibilities, right? Scullery? My father called us scullery maids. Yes, he did. And we, we were like maids that served. Okay, so let's say my mother had a garden club show and her friend Betty Fleener stopped over at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. My mother would say, or 3.30 or something, she'd say, Adri, go prepare a tray. So we would go make coffee, put cookies. What, you know, my mother had a whole system. Then we'd bring the tray outside. And I remember these ladies just loved that. Now that I'm old, if somebody brings me a cup of coffee, I'm like, write them a check for $40. I'm so happy that they thought of me. <laughs> And my mom, my mom put, instilled that in us. Again, you know. Responsibility. Responsibility and. And appreciation. And, yes. For what and, you have. And there's a way to, to, that you serve people when they come into your home. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. I, I have a quote of yours. I'm going to read it. Okay. In a large Italian family, cooking, cooking signifies bonding or bondage. Mm. Well, first what does that of all, mean? well, what it means is, my grandmother, for example, in the summer times, we picked the berries that went in the pies that made the jam. Now, if you've been berry picking, that's the worst job. You're down on your hands and knees in the dirt, and you're there for like six hours. But she would get us up before the sun rose because it would get too hot. Right. And they put you on a truck with your basket and haul you out to a field that's like 4,000 miles from civilization. Right. So even if you wanted to get out of there and you get hungry and you start eating them, 
like Scarlett O'Hare with the carrots. Right. You just look, oh, I'm so hungry out here. You know, and she, she'd check what you had. She wanted you to pick the best berries, right? So her sister told me this, her baby sister when she died. She said, she goes, she said, Vinny, her name is Lavinia. Vinny, let's go berry picking in the morning. She said, all right, I'll meet you up there. Now, my great aunt Lavinia thought, well, that meant sunrise. So 5 a.m. will be fine, right? She said she got up there at 5 a.m. with her basket, parked her station wagon, goes, and she's waiting for my grandmother to get there. She doesn't see the car there or anything. And then she said up on the horizon, she saw a truck. And on the back of the truck was a woman with baskets. And she saw the legs. She went, it's my sister. What is going on here? And she comes down the thing, the, this trail, the, the guy with the truck, the strawberry man. And she looks at her sister on the, from the back of the truck, her legs dangling, and she goes, Vinny, you're late. What do we mean late? I'm done. She, they were all filled. <laughs> she said, this is, the most, this is the best hour of the day to work. I'm going to go home. I'm going to can. I'm going to get everything done by noon. Wow. That was her. That was her. Look, look, she never bought a flower in her life. You know where she got her flowers for the cemetery? And there were always bouquets at the cemetery. Bouquets. We never, we never went to a florist. She'd put us in the back of her car and drive along the highway and where it said, you know, government land, you know, side of the road. She said, all right, kids, get out. Cut them from the roots. I need, I need, I need tiger, you know, it was like, to me, flowers that weren't so great. Tiger lilies, right. those weedy things, you know, St. Anne's lace. She, she'd be at the bottom of the hill, she'd be screaming at us, I can tell that the stem is not long enough. Cut him, and she'd do these giant, that's okay. the kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. and we sometimes go, isn't this illegal? And she'd just glare at us, you know? Did you guys ever eat out when you were kids? Yes, on, on, on special days. Um, and I can remember that because we all dressed alike. <laughs> yeah, we all dressed alike. And, 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 and it wasn't like boot camp before you went out because you represent this family, you, you, you're going to behave a certain way in public. So uh, where would we go? Oh, the Wise Inn, you know, down south. Yeah, it, yeah. it was a nice, it was one of those places. You, you know what we loved when we were kids? We loved the places that had the steam table that you could pick, like what you wanted. Right. <clears throat> but the food wasn't. The food wasn't, that not, food wasn't not, great. Not necessarily great. But you know, but, but the women down there can cook. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, they, can make, they can make some things. Well, original sort of farm to table. Completely. And, and it's one of the things that you talk Completely. about a lot, mm -hmm. that your, your grandmother, Viola, was mm -hmm. very much a sort of seasonal, whatever is in the garden that we can eat now, we'll oh, eat now, oh, whatever. What we ate all summer was dandelions, salad. Yeah. She, she, she made us go out there and pick them from her field. She had a lot of land. And we picked the, the dandelion. And she was particular about what you picked there, too. But what are Venetian eggs? It's my favorite dish. OK, so you have your gravy in the refrigerator. Or if you're a modern person and you have a jar of it, it doesn't matter. Now it's all organic. You can get anything. So what she'd do is she'd take a big skillet. And maybe this half an inch, she would line it. You couldn't see the bottom of the pan, but it wasn't that thick. She'd put it on a low simmer. Then when it started to bubble a little bit, she'd turn it up ever so slightly. She would make wells in the skillet and crack an egg in it and poach the egg 
in this sauce. Then she would take the dandelion, had it all cleaned and ready to go. She sprinkled salt on it and squoze a fresh lemon on it. That's it. Maybe a touch of olive oil, just a little. And then you take the egg and the sauce and you take a spatula, you, you put the salad pretty on a plate right. and then ladle it, make it tomorrow. You'll be like, the most <laughs> delicious thing you'll ever eat. And then she'd serve it with fresh bread, crusty bread. Yeah. But that egg, and you know, when I was growing up, they said, don't eat eggs. 70s and 80s was like the worst. Yeah, right. Don't eat eggs. And my grandmother told me, don't listen to those people. The egg is the best thing you can eat. Don't listen to them. And she was right. Yeah. It's turned. Things mm -hmm. turn. Things come inside. I know, really. But she did not give up eggs. She, we're big egg people. Special That's occasions, like we talked about Easter. Mm -hmm. I talked about the fact that Greek that bread. Easter bread is oh. basically the, same, the can, braided can, bread. That's the scent of our childhood. Yeah. If you think about your childhood, you think of that... The house smells like citrus and yeast and bread and butter and honey and oh. Yeah, with God. the Greeks, they add something called malepi mm. and mastika, which is a, like a resinous sort of, the, so it has a savory kind of element to it as well as it's being sugary. We're going Greek with it then. Yeah, yeah. My mother would do it with the honey and the sugar, and my mother was big on layering, 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 yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Greeks. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What was the big time? The big time was the annual celebration in honor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Rosetta, Pennsylvania. My dad was born right off Main Street, and I, there was a time when I was related to everybody on Main Street. <laughs> everybody. You could, you know, you never had to worry. You could stop, use the ladies' room at anybody's house. They didn't care. Come in, get a snack. They didn't care. It was this little, perfect little Italian-American community. I think the only incorporated Italian-American town in the United States. My grandfather was the mayor in the 40s. But he was a machinist. And she, my grandmother was a four lady from the age of 14. Her mother died and she took care of the whole family. Right. But you, you describe a scene in the big time of the women. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, are you talking about the pizza frite? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, you're making me hungry. Anyway, the local baker usually made the dough for them. And the dough would come in just vats. So it's a big vat of oil. And you got four ladies on one side, four ladies on the other. They're like troughs, and then another set over there. And what they do is they pull this dough, they let it raise, and then they pull it. So it almost looked like, a, like an elephant ear, like that kind of a thing, and it, it big. And then they put it in the fryer, and then they flip it till it gets golden brown, and then they throw sugar on it, they wrap it in paper, and hand it to you. Hot. Hot. It's and, the most delicious thing you'll ever eat. And there's some singing involved too, yes? They sing all the, yeah, all the, you know. This is such a gorgeous know, scene. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? When you it? think about it. Well, you know, I was raised that, you know, that the, the honor of the Blessed Mother was a big deal. I mean, you know, I, I heard people when I was a kid say, I'm devoted to the Blessed Mother. It made me devoted to her too. Because I saw... You know, bad things happen. You know, you got nothing mm -hmm. except that, that community of, of coming together and praying and, you know. Yeah, so that was a big deal. But you, you, people do things with the Blessed Mother, though. I laugh and I still do it. Like, I, it's just a habit. I, I point her looking out the window so she gives me good weather and things, you know. <laughs> oh, and I have to know, 
I come because you, this is a, 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 not a scene, but a food that comes back in all mm -hmm. the work. Yeah. Oil pretzels. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Describe. Chris. All right. I think it's our Judeo-Christian heritage. Okay. In Ireland and Northern England, it's the popover. The Italians, okay, because the Italians have to just outdo everybody. We want our popover. You know, when you get, make a popover, you have to eat it right there, okay? Well, it's not that way with the Italians. We need something that's going to keep. So it, it resembles a popover, but it's not. It has a hard shell, and it's, there's things left out of it. So there's not, okay, so it's like yeast and flour and water. It's almost that simple, and salt. If you make it sweet, you can put sugar in it. And then the dough is very dense. And everybody makes different shapes. I know people that pull it and cut it. My grandmother liked it to look like a pile of rocks. <laughs> so, because she thought that was kind of artful. So she just pull it a little when she did them. They keep, they travel, when you, okay, so the outside was a hard shell. And when you broke into them, it was this, it wasn't gooey, it, but it was soft, delicious, like the inside of a, of so, a popover. So it was breeze. a soft pretzel. It wasn't a hard. Well, it was hard. Oh. It wasn't soft. Well, it was hard-ish. Hard the outside was hard. The inside was okay. soft. Right. But you would, you would, my father would always dunk them. They called them dunkers because you could do it in coffee. And by the way, at cocktail time, that's what you had with your Manhattan, mm -hmm. which my grandmother said, you're allowed to. Your grandmother loved Manhattan. You can have a drink when you've earned it, she'd say. <laughs> so every day, her lawn chair, the cocktail, and a, an oil pretzel. And, and you guys would sit by waiting for the, the cherry. Yeah, we would, we, if there was a party, we, everybody went into my grandmother's dining room, we'd go around and finish off the drinks and eat the cherries. <laughs> and I could never understand it. Like, say to my sister, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they eat the cherries? How <laughs> you know? Now, yeah. you, you talk about Viola, yeah. but you had another grandmother who yeah, influenced Lucia. you a lot as well, Lucy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about her, and particularly her diet and her... Okay. Her... Okay. Okay. On the, the Viola, as I explained her, she was one. They had six kids, two boys, four girls. And I still have cousins who talk about the Perrin sisters. It's Perrin in Italy. Venetians don't have a vowel in the end. They, they would like pull their, they would pull their trench coat belt so tight, their waists were this big. <laughs> the other grandmother was, everybody called her Dr. Bonicelli because they would call her because she had the, the medical book. And she was just, my grandmother, I, I have no, I wish I had some of her qualities. She was calm, but she was the boss. Never ruffled anything, but she, she ran her household because her husband died when she was 35 and he was 39. So she had to raise three children on her own. And she served this gorgeous, every, every Sunday after Mass, they had, a, they had their, big, their big meal. And she made this pretty much the same thing, roasted chicken that's on our cookbook and the potatoes and the thing and the thing, and a sponge cake. Sponge cake was her thing. That's a Northern Italian thing. And then you, on a holiday, you might cream it up with something. She was, she was um, 
she believed in, she lived in northern Minnesota on the Iron Range, but she was from the Italian Alps, so not a stretch. She, even if it was blizzard conditions or just a cold day and, and you know, freezing up there, she said, you have to sit in the sun for a half hour. So she'd bundle up and put her face to the sun, even in the, in the winter. If she had a snack, she was tall and slim, about 5'7", she would have, she said, never eat more than the size of your fist at a meal. That included everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, don't try that, you know, in America. I mean, people would, they yell. But that's how she ate. And then, and the thing about the almonds, she had blanched almonds that she blanched in her oven. And in, again, seasonal, in the, in the fall pumpkin seeds, there right. were nuts of the time. Yeah, she was, she was very healthy. She walked everywhere. Fresh vegetables. Uh, you, you mentioned that she kept a, a, a sink full of radishes to I, snack I'm, on. I love radishes to this day. In the summertime, she'd take fresh radishes. Her sinks, everything in her house was pristine. She had a shoe shop that she kept going after my grandfather died till she retired. And um, she had a sink in her sewing room she, she sewed wedding gowns, coats. I mean, she could make anything. She Master made all our pajamas. Yeah. Amazing. Good cook. But she kept for snacks this white, in her white sink in the back, was filled with ice and water and radishes. Now you, you go back in and eat her radish. Now you talk about getting to the point where she's a seamstress. You talk about writing as being like sewing. Oh, yeah. What, what do you mean? She said the most brilliant thing to me, I think at that point I was probably in my 20s. And I said, you know, uh, I said to her, I said, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I can get good, but I'm not very good. Like I read books and I'm not as good as that. And she said to me, you have to try harder. She said, nobody has to see how many times you rip out the hem. This is brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I kind of live by that. Yeah. But of course, I'm a little different because I have my father's genes too, and I want everybody to know how many times I'm ripping out the head, <laughs> how much I'm suffering, you know. Now, w one thing I can't, I can't leave behind. We have to go back to Viola for a moment. Yeah. You, you mentioned that she had an automobile accident where she hit a pheasant? She was going to the factory. Okay, this is my grandparents. My grandfather was very refined, too. In fact, my grandfather on my father's side and my mother were kind of similar, and they were crazy about each other. My grandmother was the farm girl who take no prisoners, but she was also elegant. Also elegant in her... She could put on a dinner party that, you know, found this set of books that she had that were all about when she got married, 1931. All right, anyway. She was driving to the factory one morning, and she hit a pheasant. It's dark. Well, she hit a pheasant. She felt bad for a second. She stopped the car, got out, took the morning newspaper, went, quump, wrapped up the pheasant, and they had it for dinner that night. <laughs> that's uh, using, making, making use of everything that's available. Everything. <laughs> I've got to tell you the story of the wedding, but I want to make it about food. What's the story of the wedding? 
Well, my aunt and uncle got married in the swing in 70s. And my uncle, who's my dad's baby brother, married the most beautiful girl in town who was the only child of the town baker. Uh. He made that great pizza that has a scintilla of cheese on it. It's all about the tomato yep. and, the, and the crust. It, and it's sweet and it's, it's very Greek. Anyway, it might be my favorite food on earth. Anyway, so, you know, we were so happy. My uncle was marrying her. We were like, we're in now. You know, the rolls, the bread. Anyway. We were invited to the wedding, which was a big deal. When you're from a big family, they, 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 you can be included sometimes, but in my family, I don't know if this is true, Sheila, for your family, but Sheila Mayer's in the audience, and she, we talk about this stuff all the time. But when you weren't invited, you hold that grudge the rest of your life. When they say they don't want children, like what kind of people are these that they don't want children? Why aren't we going? Well, for my aunt's wedding and uncle, my grandmother said, we're, we're going to do it up because this is my last child. Now, I want you to know when you visit me, because we have her house in Pennsylvania, I kept the dresses, the hats, and the shoes that she wore to each wedding. Okay? This is the kind of people I come from, all right? And you have her utensils as well. I have all her utensils, but I not only have her utensils, I have the utensils from uh, the, the Della Bowl Farm. Oh, wow. Thing, you know, all, yeah, mm-hmm. Like, some of the stuff's worn off, but it's, that's over 100 years old, mm. some of that stuff. And by the way, better than what you get now. Anyway, so gr my grandmother, because it's, she's going to make everybody's dresses. So my eldest sister had this, oh, this lacy mini dress with long sleeves and a thing in lilac. Then the second sister was in green, and my grandmother made her this bow thing. By the time she got to me, she had run out of material. So I wore, it was, it, the body of it was yellow, and she didn't have enough for the sleeves. And by the way, if you're Catholic, you have to wear a sleeve because I don't know, arms are so seductive. Not in my family. You never see my arms ever. I'll be dead before you see them. But she made these lace things with lace, and then she took yellow bows up the thing. So I was, I, I, it, it was worse than the Von Trapp family. I, I, like the middle part was thick material and then the lace sleeves, it was just uncomfortable. A Christmas tree. Terrible. Yeah. Anyway, and I tried to like make it work, but mm. anyway, so we get to this wedding and we are going crazy. I mean, it's, it's in a hotel and we're riding the elevator. You know, we're 10 years old. 10, uh, and, and the boy cousins are the same age as us. So let's say, the eldest one was 11 and then went down. We're, we're nice at the table, we behave ourselves, we impress everybody. And at the end of the night, when the cup, you, you heard after the lovin', the Engelbert Humperdinck song, and really, it's, it's a wonder that I ever, ever procreated or got married or anything, because I was so repulsed by what I observed on the dance floor, because you know, the men had had a couple of drinks, and it was our aunts and uncles. It was disgusting. Okay, so <laughs> the other day I said to my sister Pia, how old were they? She said 35, and I was like, <laughs> So anyway, my grandmother, who was a widow at that point, there was a stage where the band was. And um, believe me, even though she, she was the mother of the groom, they made sure everything that wasn't used was packed up to... The food was oh, the, the oh, cake. I mean, oh. you, you know, I, my mother and my aunt. It looked like Armageddon and it was bare. Yeah, yeah. So would they just, and 
okay, then you had the centerpieces, <laughs> which there could be a fight over the centerpieces. And these weren't the best centerpieces, but it was all right. They were kind of pontoons with, with carnations dyed to match the bridesmaids' outfits, which were harem pants. It was the 70s. And like, a, a, like an I Dream of Jeannie Bolero and a pillbox hat. And I remember this, my father was funny. He wrote this joke. He says it to my mother. I heard it in my yellow dress, thick yellow dress with the shit sleeves. Anyway, she, I hear my father say to my, as, as the girls processed in, they, were, they had dyed carnation bouquets and the thing. And, 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 the, and the pillbox hats were mesh in gold mesh, gold mesh on the boleros, sheer palazzo pin. Not a good look on Italian girls. No. Put a pair of Palazzo pants on the Liberty Bell, you get the visual. They were like all like. And my father turned to my mother and said, they look like organ grinders monkeys. <laughs> and they did. That, that, that costume. Okay. So it's the end of the night, and we don't want the night to end because we're kids and it's fun and whatever. But the repulsive mating rituals going on. <laughs> and my grandmother, the band's playing after the loving, and my grandmother, I'll just do her gets up on the stage. The band is still playing, but we know it's wrapping up. And I'm with my sister, Pia, who cried through her entire childhood. She looks like, like uh, remember uh, um, Angela Carwright in Lost in Space with the bags? <laughs> That's my sister, Pia. And I was the rascal. She was always doing good. And she said, she, Grandma wants us to come to the stage. I said, and, and my sister, Mary, went, I'm not going. And my grandmother had these beady eyes, and she, 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 she eye contacted us, and she, it was like luring us to the stage. So we have to go, or we're going to get beat. So we all come, we, we filter down to the stage, and she said, all right. She leans down like this, she said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We got two levels, I want you to collect the centerpieces, <laughs> collect them. My car's in the back. You're going to come up these stairs. The people were still dancing and smoking and, and, and put them in the back of the car. And my sister Mary goes, I'm not doing that. This party is still going on, Graham. People are dancing, Graham. I don't care. Get the flowers. So my sister, Pia, poor thing, just, she felt like she had been yelled at, so she's crying. And we're like, it's like, it's like the king and I, with the, when they carry the kid, bring the kids in, and but we're, we're juggling these pontoons that have water in them. Up the going, then we go through this horrible kitchen. It, her, her car, she has the back flap down. And we start loading them in. She gets to the car, she goes, don't tip them over. Make sure they're straight. And then we load in. Now, there were no seat belts then. I, I, there were no seat belts. And her car always smelled of gas. Why? Because she had a gas can with a rag in it, always in the car. You know, in case she needed, she, a lawnmower ran out or something. This is not safe. I told her years later, this is not safe to be, have open gas with children and the thing. Anyway, so we're stacked on top of each other, the grandchildren, who all the time, like, 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 almost like on top of each other. And, She's driving, and I, I remember looking at her eyes. She had her pillbox hat on. Hers was all encrusted with jewels, and she wore, it was fuchsia satin, and it had a panel down the back. It was all, like her hat was in pillbox. That was encrusted with jewels, 
And I said to her, oh, Grandma, that's very pretty, but why isn't it in the front? And she went like this. You enter the church and you exit the church. When you exit, it has to look as good as when you entered the church. All right. So now we're stacked in the car and all we can think is we're missing the party. We're, we're, this was the best party. This is when you ate the cherries and, you know, you had the drinks. We're driving, driving in the night. And my sister Pia, who's just those black circles under her eyes, and she's, Graham, where are we going? Keep in mind, we're stacked on top of each other because the way back's got the flowers. Right. Never mind, she said. So now we're in silence. We're being punished. We don't know why. <laughs> driving, driving, driving. Where do you think we were going? The cemetery. <laughs> so, first of all, we're kids. We're, we're creeped out. We don't want to get out of the car. It's creepy. You know? She leaves the high beams on, and she turns to us, and she said, get out. So we get out. We're terrified. And my poor little sister, Tony, she's, got, she's carrying a punch. <laughs> She didn't care, just put it on a headstone, right? <laughs> That's the idea, right? So we're all fanned out. And Tony puts it down, and my grandmother's standing a few feet back, and she said, Antonia, move that pontoon. <laughs> and she said, why, Grandma? She said, I never liked him. <laughs> oh, my heavens. <laughs> Tell you, it's all true. Yes. It's all true, and it's, that, that's her. Well, speaking of highly accomplished women, yes. <laughs> you come from a family of highly accomplished women. Yeah, 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 for sure. And <clears throat> many of them were... But they got no credit. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. Oh, no, go ahead, ask they, the question. They, 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 they were powerless in a, in a mm -hmm. patriarchal society, not sure. only in the society that it was, but also in the culture. That's right. Because men were... Well, it was their women. fault because they played these men up. I mean, my mother was a professional person who, who, who was very accomplished, but every, it was about my dad. I, she loved him so much. I mean, I, I love my husband. I do. But it's not even like half a teaspoon <laughs> compared to what my, my mother loved Worship. him. Worshipped. Worshipped, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And the men, I'm going to be careful here, but I know why, they're gone. The men, my father was very sensitive. Okay, just to give you an example, he invited Elizabeth Taylor to his prom in 1953. And he would not, when he didn't hear back from her, When he did not hear back from Elizabeth Taylor, my grandmother said he went in the attic and she thought this was it. He, was dumb, right. he wouldn't stop crying. He loved Elizabeth Taylor so much. Flash forward years later, when she choked on the chicken bone, he was with her. He and my mother were with her. Wow. Wow. Okay, that, How? I mean, everything came full circle in my family, but that story, I used to think, where is that person now? because I didn't see it. And he would wake up angry, 
And I one time said to my mother, who never said a word against him, I said, Mom, how can someone wake up angry? I, they, it, where, has something happened during his sleep time that, that he dreamt or what's the problem? I could never understand why he was in a bad mood. And she said, Adrian, Italian men are like this until they're 68 years old. And when they're 68, they wake up and they're teddy bears. A and long, I, a long It's a long way, but, but it's exactly what happened with him. Right. And then he died at 69. So we had one year wow. of teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I only bring this up, well, not only bring this up, but I bring this up because your new book, The Good Left Undone, yep. deals a lot with that, as does a lot of your work. It does, because here's the problem. You know, this is interesting to me with The Good Left Undone because, and by the way, I think the memory scape of the women in the family, it's all around food. The women in the family, here's the deal. 50% of history has not been written down because 50% of it's women. Yeah. That's a problem. So people say, well, how do stories get lost? How do we not know these stories? When I went to Scotland to direct the movie that we, oh, we were talking before about that. Mm -hmm. I just made a list. Of, I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to go to all the cathedrals because I'm into it. It's like first they were Catholic, then they flipped for 350 years when you couldn't celebrate the mass. Mm -hmm. And then they flipped back to Catholic. So I wanted to see like, what's the deal? And I went, started with St. Andrew's Cathedral and um, I'm in Glasgow, and um, I just decide to set out on foot. I'm by myself, and I go to this church, and there's a wedding going on, and it, it's an astonishingly beautiful wedding, very simple, simple wedding, but gorgeous, and I stand in the back because we believe it's good luck on you, you know, and frankly, to be, to be really honest, you know, when you're directing a movie, and I'm sure even when you're acting in them or you're writing them or whatever, it doesn't hurt to pray. So I'm like, please don't let me mess up this joke. Anyway, as I'm standing there in the back of the church at the wedding, attending the wedding, crashing it, I realized that every song that the bride chose, my mother chose for her funeral. Mm -hmm. So then I felt the presence of my mother. And I the first thing you learn about Scottish men, the bagpiper was standing there. He saw me crying and inched all the way over to as far as he could get. They don't like ladies crying. So I stayed till the end, then I went out and I did get into the pith of this. And I'm taking pictures of the wedding, and a man says, who are you? Behind me, who are you? So I turned and it was the priest. I said, oh, Father, just a tourist. And he said, what's your name? I told him, he said, I knew it. He said, you're Italian? I said, Italian-American. He said, you need to go see that garden. Honestly, I wrote a book about something that even the Brits, when they bought the book, had never heard the story because it was buried in propaganda because Mussolini declared war on England on June 4th, June 10th, mm -hmm. 1940. And, by, and, he, and he panicked because there had been a buildup of anti-immigrant sentiment. I paid thousands of dollars to put in that book this from a newspaper article written by a man named John Boswell in the Daily Mirror from 1940, but I could have chosen 
11 years of stuff that was anti-immigrant. Yeah. The Italian people had, had go to England to work, but they'd be the maitre d' at Claridge's because they were good looking and suave. You have a maitre d' in your book. That's right. And he's a real character that I renamed, but he's real. Yeah. And um, Churchill would come and play cards. They all knew each other. But when Moose, he was worried about the fifth column, which was the secret, you know, the shadow government. And he was terrified for the English people because it's an island and, uh, you know, they could go down. So what ended up happening was um, he said, collar the lot of them, get them off. So all, all the Italians, all the Italians got to go men. So they said 15 to 80, but there were 11-year-olds and 12-year-old boys on there. And the Italian Scots, I didn't even know that there were Italian Scots. I had no idea. But there were Italian Scots like there are Italian Americans, and they moved there. They had moved there in 1890 mm -hmm. to 1913, you know, big emigration. They were from Tuscany. They were, their skill sets were marble, you know, mar carving marble, marble mining food preparation, so on. So they called us tallies. We, we delivered ice cream. We made ice cream. We uh, did the fish and chips. We did pizza. And we were called Britallians. And Italian Scots uh, fought in the war. So many born there, just like here. It's like we're born here, but we might be Irish and we could go back to our county, but. A lot of them here. fought in the First World War. A lot yeah. of them fought in the First World War. For Britain. For Britain. But the knock on the door came, said, you have to go. They didn't tell them where they were going or why. So what do the Italians do? Because they're, Italian. they're dressed in their finest Sunday suits, their hats. The wives packed like a change of socks, underwear, and a shirt, because they thought they'd be spending the night and would return the next day. They packed food in there. And one of my favorite scenes in that novel was the passing of the bread. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a fight. The husband and wife goes, she says, Leave the telescope, take the bread. I, I want to take the, because he makes telescopes, this guy, who's an ice cream peddler. And she says, no, 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 take the bread. And so he, she, she, she hides it. And later, when they're imprisoned, the priest says the mass with his, with, with his bread. He can't serve all the people. And, and so breaks off pieces of the bread. Break, breaks off tiny pieces of the bread so that there was enough for everybody yeah. in the mill. So, so they put them in this mill. Then, then uh, Churchill, in this four-week period, requisitioned all boats, including luxury liners, wrapped them in barbed wire, and they were now prison thing. And they were taking these guys to Canada. So when you know Canadian Italians and Australian Italians or Falkland Italians... That's uh, where they came. That's where they yeah, came yeah. So the boat leaves, and uh, from Liverpool... Because see, they, 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 they took the Scots on trains down to Liverpool to stay in a mill, this filthy mill. That's what they, you could be in a circus tent. They, anything big, they were pr now prison prison. You essentially rounded up. Rounded up. Yeah. And here was the sad part, too, is the Scots knew the Italians. Some of them had intermarried and stuff. And they, they, nobody was, there was no need to even have a gun out. They were just they following went. orders. Yeah, yeah. They didn't think to run. Nothing. Yeah. They, they trusted. This was their country now. Well, it rang chimes for me yeah, about yeah. what you hear about immigrants now. It, it, me too. 
I'm, I'm the first generation. So you Son know, I, you know, and my Italian people, I'm, I tell you, they're not very patient with it. And I say, how can you be that way? You wouldn't be here. Anyway. Okay. Well, at any so rate. that's that story. So the reason the women thing, and the, it's really a book about the women in the family. Okay, yes, yes, it is, because the history's not told. And there's one other ingredient: is when a family becomes prosperous. A family must have a mission to stay connected because prosperity kills the family. It just does. Mm -hmm. Poverty seems to bring us but prosperity, people can't handle it. They become estranged. The bonds loosen, yeah. Uh, if, I'm just going to return to something very briefly and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, I don't want to wrap it up. Why don't we do a two-parter? <laughs> <laughs> You, you talk about Jacques Pepin, yes. the great chef, yes. whom you met, yes. did you? I did. And he talks about his relationship with food when he was a yeah, child, doesn't yeah. he, a oh, lot. Oh, man. Well, we were like peas in a pod. He, of course, everybody's a pea in a pod with Jacques Pepin. Everybody loves him. He was the cook that Jacqueline Kennedy hired in the White House. He worked in a hotel. And basically, he made the best mashed potatoes in the world. Mm. It was, you know, but he, he said, don't call me a chef, I'm a cook. And his memories of his grandmother's kitchen are what he, all the great chefs, it's all about the grandmother. Yep. And you, uh, the, I'm, I'm going to quote you freely from, from The Good Left Undone. Yes, you may. Savoring our childhood mm. through how we felt and enjoyed traditional dishes prepared for us. That, that's the thing that we remember yes. the most. Yes. We remember that's, that's, that's the... Um, that's the connected tissue. It's the connected tissue, but it's so woven with our faith because the liturgical calendar predicted what we were eating mm. and how we, whether we had something or didn't have something or how you celebrated. It was all built around that. So those were really the bonds. And, and they're still deeply connected. Well, they are say. for me, too. Aren't they? Yeah. You could be there in a second. Absolutely. I just hope we get to eat on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'm going to thank you, Adrienne Trujani. Thank you. Everybody, uh, just... For a moment, anybody listening or watching, feel free to join Adriana's weekly Facebook live show, Adriana Inc., right? And to sign up for her Facebook bulletin at adrianatrajani.bulletin.com. Yeah, yeah. Her new novel, The Good Left Undone, will be released in just a few days. A wonderful story, richly told. Thank you, the audience. Thank you, Sacred Heart University and the Community Theater. Thank you all Thank very much. Thank you. Andrew Trujani, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.